0: You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 261. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, Today is... Uh, it's Tuesday now already, okay? This is one of those uh, one of those episodes where I let it slide. Sometimes it takes me a long time to prepare for these uh, shows, particularly these solo shows where it's a little more technical like we get into today. Uh, but, of course, the real reason why I'm a little late is because yesterday I saw the snow. Two days ago I saw it snowing, and I just decided to take the day off and go skiing. It was supposed to be a day off anyway, right? Martin Luther King Day. So uh, why not head out? So I, so I headed out to... Um, I don't know if it's called Crotched Mountain. That's what it looks like. I think it's Crotched Mountain uh, in here in New Hampshire, um, kind of west, no, yeah, west of Manchester. Uh, and it was a good day, but it was it was just on, on my own. I know Aaron likes to go skiing up in up in his place, way up in Vermont. And so it was actually the first time I've been skiing in three years due to both COVID and and health issues, uh, which are now behind us. But man am I. Sore. I slept hours and hours after that, (laughs) so I don't know what the alternative is other than in order to get back on the slopes. I needed that day to uh, to kind of um, reacquaint my muscles with uh, with how all that works. So that was kind of fun. Um, Before we get into our topic of the day today, which you know I've wanted to do an entire. We've been talking about generative AI, not just recently with the rise of Chat GPT, but also you know in the in, in Throughout the throughout the history of this program, we've talked about it all, going all the way back to you know episode fifty five and so on and so forth, um, which I'll get to in a, in a second. Uh, so so we're going to talk all about generative AI today. First of all, a few opening announcements. Gene Epstein, uh, friend of the program, he was on the show uh, recently in episode. Ooh, it's been a while. No, it has not been a while. Episode. Wait a minute. Lessons from the debate with Gene Epstein, episode 257. He runs the debate series Soho Forum. uh, That's in New York City. So he wanted me to announce that um, they are having a debate on January 26th. The debaters are Lawrence White and Frederick Mishkin. This is going to be... In New York at the Soho Forum. I don't know the exact. I mean, I can go up on Eventbrite and get the exact location there. But um, you know, uh, you can you uh, the the Sheen Center for Thought and Culture, 18 Bleecker Street. Okay, so right down there uh, in in just north of Soho in New York. Uh, And so he wanted me to uh, to forward that along to you. The debate is the Federal Reserve. So all you economics fans out there uh, will will like this. Also. I think a lot of crypto, uh, Bitcoin uh, enthusiasts will also uh, like kind of a, a debate like this, and 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 banking people. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of interesting uh, interesting discussions to be had when it comes to our central banking system. And also, he said three days later they have a new venture called the Soform Bastiat Society Salon in which they will discuss the recent debate. So check that out. You can go on um, my website, uh, Local Max Radio dot com slash 261 to get the link for this, but also, uh, you know, you could just go to Soho forum, uh, directly, uh, online and, and get that. Um, also after I recently just got back from San Diego where I watched, uh, my cousin Jordan get sworn in for uh, county tax assessor, which he won that, um, that campaign, uh, very narrowly, uh, you know. I went out there back in October and helped him campaign, uh, and it's for the entire county of San Diego. So, literally, more people than the entire you know, entire state of New Hampshire. So, you have to convince more people than if you're running for governor of New Hampshire. So, it's um, <coughs> excuse me, it's a pretty significant number of people that you have to convince. Although people are not focused on this race, and most of them don't know what. Uh, what the tax assessor does, uh, and they also don't know, um, you know, it's not very well publicized. So he won that um, campaign 52% to 48%. um, And uh, I went out there recently to see his uh, swearing in, which was a lot of fun. It was really interesting. Interestingly enough, um, I uh, interviewed the last guy uh, who, um, when was that? I think that was, okay, yeah, episode 137. I interviewed the guy he's replacing. Uh, which is Ernie Dronenberg, who was in the electoral college. How did I get that interview? It's because <laughs> Jordan got me that interview. So that was a lot of fun, uh, and that was last year before the election. Uh, so you know, Jordan worked in that office and decided to make a run for it when um, Ernie was uh, Ernie Dronenberg was uh, retiring, and and got it again though. Very close election, fifty two percent to forty eight percent. I don't know how that happens, you know, but. But that's how it happened. So, so very cool there. Um, and it was uh, exciting to be a part of it. Also, when I got back from San Diego, which took two days, took two days to get back from San Diego because of all the delays in, uh, all, all, all the, delays in the flights and whatnot. I had to stay overnight in Dallas. It was fine, though. It wasn't a lot of waiting around at the airport. I kind of knew what was going on. Um, but when I finally got back, I watched the rest of Andor with Aaron. Uh that's on Disney Plus. That's the uh that's one of the latest Star Wars series, sort of branded as Star Wars for adults. I don't know if Star Wars is, is kind of for it's kind of for families. Uh very, very good. Very anti-authoritarian show. Um very kind of like shows the the um the origins of the Star Wars Rebellion. That was, you know, sort of the sort of the, the backdrop of the first ever Star Wars movie, the original back in 77, and it has a kind of a new set of characters. It sort of does away with, you know, there's no, no Jedi, no Force, none of that stuff that's, that's new to Star Wars, just kind of um, how to politi- focusing on both regular people and, and politicians. Uh, so I thought it was a really interesting series. Uh, I highly recommend it. I also watched the beginning of the cartoon called uh, The Bad Batch, which is also kind of interesting, although I don't think I'm going to finish that because it's more for children. It gets a little kind of slow for me, um, uh, but I, I, I love the the characters there um, and the idea of, okay, there's the kind of this authoritarian state that's, uh, that's appearing in the Star Wars universe. What does that look like from the average person's point of view? So I thought that intro was very good, and I feel like one of the characters called Wrecker... Uh, One of the Bad Batch of clones is sort of based on Wreck-It Ralph. It has to be. It has to be. What do you think? Let me know. LocalMaxRadio at gmail.com or maximum.locals.com. All right. Today we're going to talk about generative AI, which is all the rage these days, uh, from the locals. Um, One of my local supporters uh, wrote in to tell us to cover this, and we have covered it since then, but I want to give kind of a... I wanted to kind of uh, devote a solo show to it because I thought that would be uh, you know, a good thing to do and that I can kind of sit down and, and gather some more thoughts and news articles and kind of package it together. So let's see how it goes. Anyway, my local supporter wrote, I have been interested in AI and machine learning for some time but kind of lacked a use case for it for my own projects. As I was not sitting on a pile of data I needed to analyze or use for suggestions, generative AI changes that completely With generative AI, I no longer need my own pile of data to benefit from AI. I can just use some standard pools of data instead, then use the models to generate graphics, sound, video, text. I find this to be very useful and thus very interesting. Generative AI can change the media landscape significantly. Do we need real human actors in the future? Can we just generate virtual actors that we need instead? What about singers, songs, melodies? Beats, instruments, maybe I can choose different actors for a movie than you, maybe even a different ending. Generative AI can also be used for book art, newspaper art, comic art, etc. I just saw NVIDIA's Magic 3D that can generate 3D models from text. This will revolutionize the computer game and 3D animation space too. Generative AI is for me by far the most interesting branch of artificial intelligence at the moment, and I'm naturally interested in the future of media. So as you can tell, uh, you know, from that question or 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 request, really, or, or not just a request, but also a description, generative AI for the end user, for the average person, is really a, a branch of um, of applications built on top of machine learning models that can derive new media uh, mm-hmm. from uh, from not from scratch, but uh, but can can help generate things like text or images or 3d models or anything really any type of any type of media or data file that you want to create uh, you can imagine a generative AI that that generates this sort of information so uh, I'm gonna break this into two parts first of all I'm gonna I want to comment a little bit on you know how does it work and secondly uh, and we're gonna be as um, uh, how should I say it we're going to be as as technical as I can be on a show like this. And then we're going to kind of summarize uh, some of the uh, articles that are out there that are speculating on what the meaning of it is in terms of the the recent breakthroughs. And really, it's not technical breakthroughs that we've had, but sort of market breakthroughs and, and you know, chat GPT being a, a among them. Sort of, it's caught on fire. It's It's gotten hot, so to speak. All right, so generative models in machine learning and statistics more gener- or generally are kind of distinguished from something called discriminative models. So when you have a discriminative model uh, that's supervised machine learning, you're trying to determine, you know, whether uh, a piece of data should be, uh, you're trying to discriminate between different types of data. So a discriminative model, for example, will be a language detector. Is this English or is this French? I'm trying to discriminate between the two pieces of text, or is this email spam, or is it, um, you know, is it is it uh, an important email that I want highlighted? That's discriminative. So, in discriminative models, we're focusing on classifying the data. It's it's supervised. Um, in uh, generative models, we're focusing on how the data was created in the first place. So, in other words, I have a, a batch of emails. Um, what's a process that I can model for how those emails are coming in? So in one sense, it's a form of unsupervised learning where you don't need labels for it, but it it can be supervised too um, in terms of, you know, you can try try to um, understand, you know, how a way to generate English text and a way to generate French text and then sort of use that to uh, discriminate between them. So it's, it's helpful for supervised learning, but, m- most, but generative models are kind of thought of as unsupervised learning. Um, an example of a, a language model. So a language model is really a discriminative model when it comes to language. In other words, uh, natural language, text. Uh, you're trying to generate uh, text or something that looks like text. So a very simple generative model for text um, that these days would look downright ridiculous, but it's a simple one. That most people uh, can can implement themselves is the bag of words model, so in the bag of words model, you imagine, okay, we take some English text, let's say uh, we're going to model it as having twenty thousand words and uh, and then maybe add into that some punctuation and whatnot, and you know paragraph breaks and whatnot um, and we imagine a twenty thousand sided die and so and it's um, and it's 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 sort of a categorical distribution among those words, and not just that, but um, the words are, uh, you know, the, the, it's not a uniform distribution. Obviously, certain words are more likely than certain other words. So you kind of you look at a bunch of English texts, and you gather the um, you, you gather the the distribution of the words. What which word is most likely? Maybe the, um, and then kind of from a whole corpus of text, you can sort of get the relative frequencies and probabilities of each word. Um, I think we uh, looked uh, back at the uh, ZIF distribution earlier on. This is going to follow a ZIF distribution, but that's not very important, but I'll link to that anyway. All right, so what's the generative parts of this? Now, how does it generate text? Well, you can, you imagine that the text was generated by flipping this categorical distribution, this 20,000-sided die as many times um, as it takes in order to generate the text. And so uh, with the with the generative, uh, um, when, it, when you put it in generative mode, you're basically choosing random numbers to flip that text. And so what's the text going to look like? Well, it's going to look like a sequence of words. They're not going to make a lot of sense, but it's going to look like English in that it's going to have, you know, common words appear more commonly, like the and and maybe some, you know, more of the common nouns, um, you know, maybe I, my, depending on maybe some pronouns. Uh, and then, of course, you'll, you know, then we'll also throw in a few, it'll sprinkle in a few less common words. Um, so it'll look like English in that sense, but everyone will be able to tell that this came from a statistical model uh, and from a computer and that it did not come, uh, you know, from, from a human. That, that's obvious. And then this, but it, it's still a generative model. Uh, So, all right, and then you can imagine that getting more and more complicated. You kind of imagine that the words are generated in context, and, you know, you you imagine, like, a whole big process uh, using neural nets is used to generate the next word, and as you get more and more complicated, all of a sudden, this bag of words model starts to look more and more realistic. All right, now, I'm going to read from this book, this new book that I got, Data Science in Context. Uh, It's from one of the authors, Chris Wiggins, who I know... Who I, who, who I got it from, uh, to sort of describe, uh, to see how they describe what uh, a generative model is. They write, another way to categorize machine learning models is to consider the, uh, whether the model is focused on learning the boundary between classes or learning the classes themselves. A discriminative model answers the question, given the input X, what is the most likely output Y? Sometimes this is explicitly modeled as finding the output Y that maximizes the probability Y given X, but some models answer the question without probabilities. All right, and then in contrast, a generative model answers the question, what is the distribution of the input? Or sometimes, what is the joint distribution of the input and output? Sometimes this is an explicit model of P of X or P of X and Y, and sometimes the model can sample from the distribution without explicitly assigning Probabilities. Okay, now we get into where they actually say what's going on. Uh, For example, if the task is to label the language in a sentence as being either Danish or Swedish, a discriminative classifier model could do very well by simply recognizing that Swedish has the letters A with two dots over it, O with two dots over it, and X. Now, of course, that's—I uh, don't know what that those two dots over it are called—but I'm just gonna. Uh, I know people are gonna correct me here. While Danish uses the a and e attached, the o with a line through it, and ks with a few more tricks, the model could correctly classify most sentences, but it could not be say it could not be said to know very much about either language. In contrast, a generative classifier model would learn much more about the two languages, enough to generate plausible sentences in either language. Some generative models can answer other questions, such as, is this sentence rare or common? However, a discriminative model being simpler can be easier to train and is often more robust. Uh, As another example, if we train models on images of birds labeled with their species, a discriminative model could output the most probable species for a given image. A generative model could do that and could also enumerate other similar birds, or if parts of the birds were obscured in the image, could fill in the missing parts. Okay, and obviously you might want to get this book, Data Science, in context. Chris Wiggins, one of the authors, I'll link to it on localmaxradio.com slash 261. Actually, let me, um, let me make sure that I, that I throw that link in there. Okay, perfect. Now, um all right, so I hope that that describes pretty well what's going on. So how is it actually uh creative? What created? Well, one of the ways that generative models are created is through something called um generative adversarial models. Now, here's where you have kind of two parts to it, and we covered this back in episode 56 when we talked about fake faces, which were generative models being created at the time. That was all the rage at the time when it came to generative models, where it was kind of like this face doesn't exist dot com. And the way generative adversarial models works, uh, particularly when it comes to images, it'll usually have two part. It'll have two parts. The first part generates the image, and then the second part is discriminative, where it tries to tell, okay, is this image generated by our model, or is it like one of the, the, the real images that we see in the data. And essentially the discriminator is grading your homework and the better the discriminator does. Well, uh, no matter how the discriminator does, it always outputs some data on how it could have done better. Like it got these wrong and, and, and these, right. And then the generative model, uh, kind of, kind of adjusts to, to be better. And then, um, the, the, let, let me put this another way. They, they kind of grade each other's homework. So the, the discriminative model can be trained based on the generative model because we know the ones we're generating and we know the ones that came from the real data. So we can use that to train the discriminative model. And then the generative model, it could be say, okay, you know, we could do better if we trick the, uh, the, 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 the discriminative model more often. So you have one person doing the homework, one person grading the homework, and they kind of, they fight against each other. And they're, you know, they're sort of back propagation uh, neural nets. And this, I'm not going to get into all of that, but um, basically if, you, if you're given a gradient, if you're given like say, okay, this is the direction you have to go in to get better, then you kind of improve it over time. Uh, another option, similar option is kind of an auto coder. It's also like a neural net that tries to produce the output from the input. So in other words, you input an image in there, or text, or whatever it is, and then you try to output the same text. So it's like, well, well why would we do that? Why would we try to you know, learn, the, um, learn the identity function? And the reason is, is because it has a bottleneck. So the input could be very complicated, you know, like an image has lots and lots of numbers associated with it. But it has to kind of pass through a level, a layer, where there are very few numbers. And so that could kind of, it's kind of forced to, um, it's kind of forced to compress it and make it concise and it might lose some data. But, uh, so the image that comes out at the end is not necessarily going to uh, match the, the one that you started with exactly, but the, the middle section is going to contain like a really good representation of a really concise representation of the of the image or the text or whatever it is, so that's all really good. And then, of course, another thing to look up, which I'm not going to get into in terms of the in terms of how it works, but uh, you know, I've been I've been studying or I've been reading about these things for over a decade is convolutional neural nets, uh, which are really good for images. Which um, you know, it, it the the trick there is to kind of break the image up into patches and then do some kind of um, Transformation, some convolution on each patch, and so it sort of combines pixels in um, interesting way to kind of show that okay, pixels near each other uh, need to you know need to have more meaning than than pixels that are that are far away from each other. All right, so let's look at what's been being said by this in the media right now. I'm going to start with the New York Times. Microsoft's big bet when ch- when a chatbot called Chat GPT hit the internet late last year. Executives at a number of Silicon Valley companies worried that they were suddenly dealing with new artificial intelligence technology that could disrupt their business. But at Microsoft, it was cause for celebration for several years. Satya Nadella, Microsoft's chief executive, has been putting the pieces in place for this moment. In 2019, Microsoft invested $1 billion in OpenAI, the tiny San Francisco company that designed ChatGPT, and in the years since, it has quietly invested another $2 billion, according to two people familiar with the investment who requested anonymity because they were not authorized to speak with the media. The $3 billion paid for the huge amounts of computing power that OpenAI needed to build the chatbot and it meant that Microsoft could rapidly build and deploy new products based on the technology. Microsoft is now poised to challenge big tech competitors like Google, Apple, and Amazon with a technological advantage the company has not possessed for more than two decades. Microsoft is in talks to invest another $10 billion in OpenAI as it seeks to push its technology even further, uh, according to a person familiar with the matter. There's a quote further down in this article. It's just from uh, from the uh, Microsoft CEO. It's just fascinating to see how these generative models are capturing the imagination. Mr. Nadella told the de- developers in India last week, adding, "I think it's a golden age." Uh, no, that, that's why I say you know it's a um, it's a market breakthrough. It's a uh, it's a zeitgeist breakthrough. It's a it's a. It, I think he he put it well here, capturing the imagination. So the bottom line is. Microsoft is going to make a play to integrate this technology into their software products. It could mean, you know, the biggest change in uh, Microsoft Word, Microsoft Office Suite uh, since since it went to the cloud. Um, this article also mentions Copilot, which is um, part of uh, GitHub, which is owned by GitHub. I actually haven't used it yet. I don't know if it's like an integration with GitHub or what, uh, but. It's an auto-suggestion of code, so it makes programmers more efficient, which in turn makes the entire uh, software industry more efficient. Um, And then, of course, they also mention image-to-word creators uh, and word-to-image creators. In other words, I give you an image, the AI describes what it is, or I give you a word and the AI creates an image out of it. Uh, That's also become very popular recently. Also speaking in India last week, Mr. Nadella, presented data that indicated as much as 10% of all data could be AI-generated in just three years, which could lead to as much as $7 billion in revenue for Azure, Microsoft's cloud computing product, uh, said Gil Luria, Luria, who researches Microsoft for the investment bank DA Davidson. So there's some interesting images, uh, an interesting image generator that's, that's uh, you know, there's, there's Lenza that a lot of people are using on um, on Instagram right now to create kind of avatars, kind of idealized versions of themselves. Or It's kind of weird because in ca- I have one up on my Instagram where it's sort of like, it looks like me, but it's not quite me. Uh, so um, maybe I have to lose a little weight and I'll look like that or something. Um, working on it, folks. Um, okay, but uh, an- another one that's been big recently on Twitter is this one called midjourney.ai. Uh, they also... Taken words, taken prompts, and generate images. Or two Twitter threads. One is turn countries into a supervillain, and another one is turn countries into women. I will link to both of these Twitter uh, uh, threads. The American version in both USA does not disappoint. For for the woman, we have a, a that represents the USA. We have a blonde lady with an American flag. Uh, shirt and a cowboy hat in the middle of southwest desert or or Utah somewhere. And our villain is sort of a joker-like figure with a skull head and a gun in the middle of New York City. So I don't know. I'm kind of happy with that. All right. Generative AI. Now, it's interesting how these uh, articles sometimes, uh, um, they... uh, they contradict each other because Satya Nadella saying is 10% of all data could be AI generated in just three years. Uh, this Yahoo Finance article says 90% of online content could be generated by AI in 2025, expert says. All right, so we're getting a little bit of a, a bubble in terms of expectations, but that's what happens um, when you when you have this technology comes out. Also, I think, you know, maybe we're already there. You know, I, I don't know if the right way to think about it is what percent of online content is generated by AI. I don't know if there's a good way to measure that. you know. And, and also today, maybe not very intelligent bots, but most of it, what you read online today, I assume, is generated by bots of some kind. So let's hear from uh, the person in this article. Generative AI, like OpenAI's chat GPT, could completely revamp how digital content is developed, said Nina Schick, advisor uh, speaker and AI thought leader, and she told that to Yahoo Finance Live, and there's a video linked, I think we might reach 90% of online content generated by AI in 2025. So this technology is exponential, she said, and I believe that the majority of digital content is going to start to be produced by AI. You see chat GPT, but there are a whole plethora of other platforms and applications that are coming up. It's important to understand exactly what generative AI is and what it isn't, What generative AI can do, essentially, is create new things that would have thus far been seen as unique to human intelligence or creativity, she said. Generative AI can create across all media. So text, video, audio, pictures, every digital medium that can be powered by generative AI. So I think these valuations that you're seeing for open AI are actually going to go up, and you're going to start to see even more generative AI companies which have universal applications across many industries in 2023. I have a little bit to say about that um, in a minute, but let me finish the article. Uh, This is all still really new as applications for generative AI have only really been coming to the fore in the last 24 to six months, added Schick. The generative AI space is set to get far more competitive in the next year, uh, Schick said, who expects to see companies like Google parent Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple do a lot more in the space. Though uh, much has been said about the extent to which ChatGPT may or may not present an existential threat to Google's search dominance, Schick says she expects to see Google compete rather than wither. Now, I want to go back to something that was said earlier about um, generative AI creating new things that would thus far have been seen. As unique to human intelligence or creativity. Um, now that's a true sentence, but I, because it is trained on stuff that has already been created, it can create new versions of stuff that's already been created, and also combine it in interesting ways. Now I would argue that most of human content creation is doing that, but I feel like there is a there is a gap there where. Really good art for example what's what's the uh, what's the tagline um, you know good artists borrow great artists steal I never really understood that, um, but it does mean that there's a lot of kind of reusing and and recombining things in art and in content and in media, but I feel like there is always like a shred of something new in it um, and and that's kind of like the the human spark and I don't think these models are able to do that particularly well, um, you know maybe I'm just maybe that's my human bias coming in, and so like let me know if you disagree, but it does seem like just from the way these things work, being trained on things that already exist and sort of seeing how they're already being combined, i I still think. I'm not saying like a machine can't do it in the future. I still think there's room for human creativity here just in terms of how they're combined and and, and what's meaningful to us. So that is an idea that I think I'm going to have to, we're going to have to expand on in the future try to understand what this new world is like, which I'm still trying to keep up. All right, now on the investment side, I also found this article by Clark Pennington, MBA student at Columbia Business School. He writes, is generative... Artificial intelligence, the next watering hole for venture funds. According to PitchBook, venture capitalists have increased investment in generative AI by 425% since 2020 to 2.1 billion. AI-generated portraits and prompted text generation responses are proliferating social media with everyone from Gen Z to boomers, clamoring to experiment with newly unveiled Artificial Intelligence Applications, Lens's new Magic Avatars feature launched in late November, followed by ChatGPT's de- debut on November 30th. Less than one week later, ChatGPT crossed 1 million users, according to a tweet by CEO Sam Altman. Consumer interest in AI-generated text and images and user adoption are some of the developments driving generative AI organizations to fine-tune their models to make better predictions. Generative AI models leverage AI technologies to create entirely new content. This advancement from traditional machine analysis or AI exemplifies how AI programs have learned from large language models created by Google, Microsoft, Meta, et cetera. All right, we've been hearing about this for a long time. He gives a list of examples, some of which I, uh, I haven't um, heard about, so these are other things to check out. In October, Jasper, a copywriting AI text generation application, raised $125 million Series A round, that's like a, a nice-sized company they're building there, on a 1500000000 billion post-valuation led by Insight Partners. The same month, Stability.ai, maker of text-to-image generator uh, Stable Diffusion, reached $100 million in Series A funding on a $1 billion post-valuation led by Coatu Management, Lightspeed Venture Partners, and Shaughnessy Ventures. And also in October, Cohere, Developer of natural language processing software reportedly is seeking two hundred million dollars of venture funding from Nvidia and Alphabet, um, while OpenAI, as we already know, is in talks with Microsoft to receive additional funding to expand the scope of its machine learning research into more areas. So a lot of money is pouring in to this area, and of course, if you're a machine learning engineer, and you know myself included, you might want to look at uh, at climbing on this uh, rocket ship because that's <laughs> that's where the money is right now. Um, but there are a lot of open questions that companies are gonna to have to figure out as they work through this. First, uh, do they use pre-trained models and API or do they train their own? A lot of the companies that we mentioned above, uh, they are creating these models. They are investing in lots of computation. And so if you're not one of those companies, do you try to build your own models? Do you try to you know, reinvent the wheel or do you kind of just use the models that those other companies give you and their APIs? Uh, then that's kind of a, a um, there's sort of a trade-off there. There's the benefit of moving fast and getting something out the door versus gaining a competitive advantage and product differentiation. I think what companies are going to ask um, and people who build products are going to ask. Probably you start by using API and and kind of available out of the box products. But then it's like, okay, are you going to need to differentiate your product by training your own models? Also, what's the monetization strategy? Because um unlike other um you know other web products which we've we've had to scale and have done a lot of work to scale it this stuff but that stuff is is usually cheap to begin with this stuff is expensive it's expensive to train it it, it um it requires a lot of computational power and so um and it will be expensive for the near term at least it's not like moore's law is going to sweep in and like save us anytime soon Uh, maybe, you know, maybe in the future, maybe in 10 years, this stuff will be no big deal, but, uh, for this new wave, this stuff is going to be expensive and there's going to be some ways of monetizing it. And so what, what exactly is the, is the play here? I hope it's not just ads. That's usually the answer, uh, that we did in the last, uh, round in the last 20 years, the last round of, uh, of, of both, uh, um, internet and, um, uh, online and, and kind of AI applications. Uh, maybe we could do something a little bit better this time. I don't know. So that is, that is an open question. And if you figure that out, um, well, there, there are lots of rewards to figure that out. So, uh, and also to try to understand, you know, if they do go the ads route, what kind of problems is that going to cause, you know, which is analogous to the problems that ads are causing today. So no easy answers for now on any of this stuff. Um, and of course we're going to ask you, know, how does the average, how, how does the average person use this? Like, you know, if you're generating, um, some content or some media for a company, are, are you going to be using this, um, in your day to day? Does that mean just so much more stuff is going to be generated? It's going to be so personalized. You know, what does the future look like? What do you think? Let me know. I, I, you know, I, I, I look forward to discussing this stuff with everyone here. Let me know on the locals and maximum.locals.com or just email the show at localmaxradio.com. All right, next week we're going to get back into distribution of the week. I want to start with the beta distribution now that we're doing um, now that we're doing uh continuous distribution, but uh you know, I feel like we had a lot of tech stuff uh for this week, so I don't want to I don't want to confuse you. A lot of a lot of stuff on how generative AI works uh is kind of swirling in your brain right now. So we'll put that off to next time. We're going to get into that next week. Um, I do, I have an, a lot of kind of fascinating uh, projects to uh, to come up with with Aaron. First of all, you know, he's going to interview me on my uh, academic paper on probability. Uh, and, and we have some fun stuff that I don't want to spoil coming up. Plus I have a few, um, I, I have a few more guests coming live into the studio, I hope. So that should be very exciting. So, all right, sorry for, the, sorry for the day off. No, sorry, not sorry. Uh, I'm glad I took that day off. Uh, but uh, hope you enjoyed this discussion of generative AI uh, and have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and their online community at maximum.locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.